Let us now take our Bibles and let us read from the Word of God. The reading from God's Word for this afternoon is taken from the Gospel according to John, verses 1 through to 24. John chapter 14, verses 1 through to 24, we read here the Word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will, also, you will live also. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Thus far, to read him God's holy word. We will examine a doctrine of Holy Scripture as it's summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. This afternoon we've come to Lord's Day 8. So let us read Lord's Day 8, and then we'll also read a portion of the Athanasian Creed. 
as this Lord's Day age deals with one God in three persons. Lord's Day age reads as follows. How are these articles of the Apostles' Creed divided? Into three parts. The first is about God the Father, our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Let us now also turn to our Athanasian Creed, as you find it on 400, page 495. We'll read the first 28 articles. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all things, hold to the Catholic faith. Unless a man keeps it in its entirety, inviolate, he will assuredly perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. The Father's person is one, the Son's another, the Holy Spirit another. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. The glory is equal, the majesty is co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son. Such is also the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreate, the Son uncreate, the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father is infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as three are not three incarnates, incarnate, or three infinites, but one uncreate, and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, yet there are not three Almighties, but one mighty, Almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son God, and the Holy Spirit God, yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, the Holy Spirit Lord, yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord. Because just as we are compelled <clears throat> by the Christian truth to acknowledge each person separately to be both God and Lord, so we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to speak of three gods or lords. <clears throat> The Father is from none, nor made, nor created, nor begotten. The Son is from the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is from the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this trinity, there is nothing before or after, nothing greater or less, but all three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal. Thus, in all things, as has been stated above, both trinity and unity and unity in trinity must be worshipped. So he who desires to be saved should think thus of the trinity thus far.
That's the proclamation of the Lord's Word. We will sing from hymn 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 7, after summarizing the two components of, of true faith, sure knowledge, and the firm confidence which the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel, then asks, what then must a Christian believe? The answer is, all that is promised us in the gospel. And so the Bible is then a book of promise. The Bible is not only a book that points out to us our sins and misery, but also shows us the way out of our sins and misery. Therefore, the Catechism says that the Christian must believe all that is promised us in the gospel. There are indeed many promises in the Bible. You know them. Just to mention a few and to, to sum it up, promise of forgiveness of sins, promise of eternal life, also the promises of, of the Father's care, salvation of the Son, the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the new heaven and new earth, and so many more. All these promises go back to that mother promise that God already gave to man immediately after man fell into sin, even before God expelled man from that beautiful Garden of Eden from paradise. Already in Genesis 3, verse 15, the so-called mother promise, God promises that one day he would have again a people for himself, which he will accomplish in the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, our Almighty God bound himself to us, man, with a promise. Therein we see the heart of our God, his heart of love for his creation, but particularly his heart of love for you and for me, for man, the crown of his creation, whom he made in his own image. God desires to be with his people once again, to have a people all around him once again. It's just like mother loves to have her children around her, near to her. So the Lord our God loves to have his people around him once again. He loves that. He enjoys that. He wants to dwell with his people once again. And so the Lord has bound himself to a promise. And therefore the Bible, as a book of God's promises, is all about God. It's about God promising himself, revealing himself to us, for us. Now, how has God revealed himself to us in the Bible? Anyone who reads the Bible will notice that the Bible speaks about God the Father, about God the Son, and about God the Holy Spirit. The problem comes when a person tries to understand the relationship between these three persons of the one true eternal God. Yet this is one of the most fundamental doctrines of Holy Scripture, one of the most fundamental doctrines about God one of the most fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Being so fundamental, the Catechism deems it very necessary to deal with this doctrine very well first, before going into the various persons of the one true eternal God. For without a good understanding of the relationships between the three persons of the one true God, how three can be one, it will not be possible to have a good understanding of how the three persons of the one true God is of particular comfort and joy to us with respect to our salvation. 
And so, brother and sister, may proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as follows. Our faith and our comfort is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as three, three distinct persons and as one true eternal God. So first of all, our faith and our comfort is in the one, is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons. Now the doctrine of three persons of the one true eternal God is theologically known as, as a doctrine about the Trinity of God or the doctrine about the triune God. The word Trinity and, and triune are attempts to express an understanding about the one eternal God, about his nature, about his being, as he ex- ex- exists uniquely within himself. But these words, Trinity and, and triune, you will not find in the Bible. Yet the truth of the Trinity is firmly rooted in the Bible. The early Christian church used these words to express and confess a truth about God, which God himself reveals about himself in in our Bibles, in his holy word. These words were were first used by the early church fathers named Tertullian around the year 200 AD. It was in the face of, of various heresies that the early Christian church was forced to defend confess and formulate the doctrine of the Trinity concerning God as clear as possible. And we find these confessions and defenses of the Christian faith, particularly with reference to the doctrine of the Trinity in our Nicene Creed, but especially also in Athanasian Creed, of which we read a part. Obviously, the word Trinity comes from the word three in unity. Trinity, three in unity. But the word Trinity would then particularly stress the idea of unity of the three persons. However, the word triune might be a better word, as it gives clear expression to the depth of this unity. Namely, that this unity, a three-in-one unity, that is a complete oneness. It's not just a unity, a, a cooperation, or an alliance and partnership. No, it is a oneness. For our God is one God. This particularly comes out better in the word triune God. Now when we speak of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it is logical and natural and understandable that a person not knowing better and not yet having received the wisdom and the Spirit of God would say that we believe in three gods. And there are are other faiths that will charge us for believing in three gods. Take the Muslim faith, for example. They say we're trius. We are worshippers of three gods. We are polytheists, worshippers of many gods. But therefore we have the question in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 25. Since there is only one God, why do we speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The doctrine concerning our triune God is not easy to understand. There are those who try to explain the Trinity by, by saying that Trinity that's a doctrine about the one God consisting of three persons. It's like, like a tree, consisting of leaf and, and branches and roots. All are distinct from one another. All have their own function. And yet, are one in that is one tree. Without the one or the other, it cannot be a tree, at least not a living tree. Yet, that's not a good understanding of the three persons of the one true God. Trinity is not a doctrine of one God consisting of three persons. 
No, it's a doctrine of the one God existing in three persons. As I have tried to explain the Trinity, as when a man and a woman marry, then you have the two, you receive a child, then you have three distinct persons, yet one unit, one family. As I have tried to explain the, the Trinity, the existence of God as, as a triangle, there are three separate angles, yet each are part of the whole triangle and never separate from it. Also, this illustration does not do justice to the oneness of our God. In the end, every teacher and every preacher will, when attempting to explain and illustrate the triune existence of our God, needs to throw up his hands in the air in frustration, for he realizes there is no illustration on this earth that can adequately illustrate the truth about God, that, e- that can even come close to understanding God's unique existence as one God in three persons. Every illustration, there is an aspect of his triune existence that will not receive sufficient justice, as God has revealed himself to us in his word. But brothers and sisters, that is because the phenomenon of three in one and one in three is beyond our understanding. How can three be in one while yet remaining distinct? And how can one be in three and yet remain one? That's beyond our understanding. That's incomprehensible to us. It is just simply impossible for our human mind to to come to complete and satisfactory understanding of how three in one and one in three doctrine and reality of of our God's existence. In the words of King David in Psalm 139, we must exclaim, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Yet, brothers and sisters, while we cannot fathom the height, the width, and the depth, the glorious majesty of how God exists in himself, that should not cause us to set aside the study of the doctrine of the Trinity. We may not shy away from this glorious, though unfathomable, doctrine of our God. For then we do not do ourselves a favor. We do ourselves great harm. And we also do God a great displeasure. Further, it can also be said that while it is difficult to understand the triune existence of our God, yet the one person of the Trinity does give a better understanding about the other persons of the Trinity. So the Lord Jesus gives us a more fuller picture of our Heavenly Father, He being the glory of the one and only who has come from the Father. So too does the Holy Spirit give us deeper understanding in the Father's love and care and the Son's sacrifice for us. The Lord Jesus spoke about that in our reading of John 14. Further, our one God comes to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is also a great comfort to us. As each person of God's triune existence has something to offer us. Then you could say it's it's like, like you children. When you have a birthday party, you want to invite a lot of friends. Because when you have a lot of friends, you get a, a lot of presents. And so too, God coming to us in three persons, and not just as one God, is also very rewarding to us. It is very comforting and encouraging, very rich, for each person of the one God has something to offer us, has something to give to us. Then God the Father comes to us, our Creator God, as our Father, Protector, and Provider. 
We do not need to look too far to, to see a little bit of that might and glory that is with God the Father. A marvelous creation. So immense is this universe in which we live, and yet he maintains minute control of every little aspect of it. And there's an amazing God, an amazing creator. This God has promised not only to take care of you and me, so that not only do we receive the rain and the sun, the day and the night, as, as every living creature does, but also he has promised to become our Heavenly Father and is now our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, don't you look up to your Father? You feel secure and you feel comfort when you see your Father is strong and how well he takes care of your family. But what about your Heavenly Father? who's created all things and has all things under his care. What security and comfort we have knowing that he is our God and he is our Heavenly Father now through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we don't see him with our own eyes, we can have comfort and security in our Heavenly Father because he has made himself known to us in the Scriptures as a faithful God and a faithful Father, faithful to his covenant promises. We see that so clearly in the promise of His Son to become our Savior. We can trust and rely on His love and faithfulness to us and in all His promises to us. Now God the Father is called the first person in God's triune existence. Not because He's more important than the Son and the Holy Spirit, but because all things begin with Him. God the Father exists in and of Himself. As the Lord Jesus also bore witness concerning the Father in John 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And so we have come to the Son. The Son is generated of the Father. That is, the Son is not made, not created by the Father, but begotten of the Father, born of the Father. Meaning, brought forth, gave birth to the Son out of his very being. Now, how the Son comes forth from the Father without a mother, or how the Father and the Son can yet be co-equal and co-eternal, is beyond our comprehension. Our God is an incomprehensible, unfathomable God. Believing our God to be such a God, well then, we will not then ask such questions and inquire beyond our capacity. With the Belgic Confession, we then confess as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, who have only to learn these things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. Also, the existence of the second person within the triune, God's existence gives us comfort and joy. For through the Son of God, not only do we have confirmed to us that God the Father is faithful to his promises, but also we have the forgiveness of sins and hope of eternal life confirmed to us in Christ's death and resurrection. And last but not least, the Holy Spirit is commonly known as the third person of the Trinity. Again, not because of an assigned consecutive order or a system of priority, but only because of the role the Holy Spirit plays in the overall redemption of man. 
as fulfillment of the Father's promise in the history of salvation worked out by God for man's salvation. All three persons are equally and eternally God. Each person partakes of the entire one being, divine being, from eternity to eternity. The Holy Spirit is the breath and the Spirit of God. Thus, whereas the Father is begotten, sorry, thus, whereas the Son is begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In the Spirit, God moves about as his being exists. God also gave man a small portion of his spirit at the time of man's creation, so he might live and know his creator. As Moses wrote in Genesis 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So the constitution of man was now not only material matter, but also spiritual matter. He now not only had a body, but also a soul. Man could thereby truly know God, love him, and live of him eternally. However, as we know from Genesis 3, man sold his soul to the serpent, to the devil. Yet in the same chapter of Genesis, God tells us how he will again redeem the soul of man and claim the soul of man for himself once again. He does so through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is this Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son who now lives in us, renewing our lives in Christ Jesus, so we might once again walk in faithfulness before God Almighty. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And so as the basic summary concerning the doctrines of Holy Scripture, the Apostle Creed speaks about God the Father, our creation, God the Son, our redemption, and God the Holy Spirit, our sanctification. We must never confuse the works of the various persons of the one God. There's perfect unity, perfect oneness, but not such that there is no distinction of persons within the one true God. Thus it is not God the Father who died on the cross, but the Son. And it is not the Son who created, but the Father. Well, the Father does so through the Son and in the Spirit. And so also without the Holy Spirit, the Father does not work in our hearts. For he works in our hearts only through his Holy Spirit, by his Word. Each person of the triune God has a particular function for the good of our salvation. It is because there are distinct persons with the one true God, each with a distinct function in relation to man and his salvation, that we are now baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person of the triune God speaks to us personally, to you and to me, and has a distinct promise for each of us. The Father promises to be a father to us, he adopts us as his children and heirs in the Son. The Son promises to wash our sins away in his blood and to unite us to his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit promises to dwell in us and make us living members of his church. Further, because there is distinction of person and distinction function, we also receive the blessings of the Lord in three names, in the benediction and the closing of a Sunday service. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Clearly, our God exists and has revealed himself three distinct persons for our benefit. Yet let us never overemphasize the three persons at the cost of the unity of the three persons as one true eternal God. Sometimes that is done today by those who would put too much emphasis on Jesus at the cost of remembering the grace of the Father who sent him for our salvation, as some evangelical groups do. There are those who also put too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, as, as the Pentecost do, not giving enough honor to the Father and to the Son. While confessing that God has revealed himself in three distinct persons, we must also confess and protect the unity and oneness of our God in our confessions. For the three distinct persons are one true eternal God. And so we have come to the second point. Our faith and comfort is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as one true eternal God. And so the Catechism asks in question 25, since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And the answer is because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. And so, brothers and sisters, we believe something that is beyond human ability simply because a book tells us so. Just think about that for a moment. We believe in a triune God because a book tells us that. For you and me, that's not really a big problem, is it? We have grown up with this teaching. We've been taught that as a little child. We accept it even though we don't understand it. We accept it because the Bible tells us so. That's wonderful that we can do that. Especially when we can do that not because mom and dad had told me, told us so, but we can now confess, are convinced in our own hearts that the Bible is the true word of God because the Holy Spirit has worked that also in our hearts. Where if you really stop to think about it, that is quite something, isn't it? Just to believe something that is beyond our human understanding because a book tells us that. Can you imagine having a discussion with a non-believer? And you tell them, I believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they will say, where'd you learn that from? From a book. And I say, what? Are you crazy? Why do you believe this book? Why not another book that talks about the Big Bang Theory or about the evolution? Why this book? And then you realize, brothers and sisters, that your belief that the Bible is the true word of God, and that's also the belief of the Trinity, that is a gift from God. The working of God's gracious Holy Spirit in your heart, that you believe in the Trinity, even though it is unfathomable, incomprehensible to us. For you will not be able to give any fact or proof of God's triune existence outside this book, outside this Bible. You will not be able to illustrate it, illustrate the triune existence of God as we talked about before. You will not be able to convince anyone about the triune existence of God who has not received the Spirit of God. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The only proof of the reality of God's existence as three persons in the one God 
can be found in our Bibles, which only the spiritual man can discern. It is a gift of God that we can believe the unfathomable, the incomprehensible, simply because the Bible, God's breathed out word, tells us so. Therefore, too, brothers and sisters, we must be careful not to question this doctrine of Holy Scripture. For questioning this doctrine would then be putting our faith into question. For this very first doctrine we come to as we are about to begin to examine the doctrine of Holy Scripture, as they are summarized for us in the Apostles' Creed, immediately demands our total submission to the Word of God, our complete trust and belief that the content of the Bible is the written Word of God. The Word of God itself testifies to this. As the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And the Apostle Peter also wrote to the brethren in Asia Minor, no prophecy of Scripture came about by man's own interpretation. For prophecy has never had its origin in the will of man, for men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But this doctrine concerning the triune God will cause a separation. For this doctrine cannot be understood by human reasoning. We accept it for true simply because God tells us so in his holy word. Right from the beginning, God requires childlike faith. Humble submission to what he says, regardless of our understanding, which is so crucial for the acceptance of all the doctrines of Holy Scripture. Now, in his word, God himself gives proof of being one God and three persons. And that is the only place you will find proof that God is one and God is one in three persons. You can go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 23, when God speaks about creating man. God spoke in the plural, although he is a singular God, one God. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Secondly, the Jews were known for their strong confession of faith in the one God. They recited repeatedly the Old Testament confession known as the Shema Israel, found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the Lord Jesus, when he was questioned by one of the teachers of the law in Mark 12, as a true Jew, he quoted these verses from Deuteronomy, pointing out the first part of the summary of the law, that God was one. The unity of God is also expressed in the use of of divine names attributed to each of the three persons of the one God, showing its unity. For example, Isaiah prophesies concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in Isaiah 9, verse 6. He says, And he that is the Son of God will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the Son of God is given here the title of Everlasting Father, a title that's normally used for the first person of the Trinity. And also as Wonderful Counselor, a title that the Lord Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, as found also in John 14, 26. And the unity of God is also expressed not only in the divine names, but also in the divine works. The one person of the Trinity does not operate without the other also being active. 
We already touched on a little bit on that earlier. Scripture gives clear examples of this. For example, when God created all things, the Son and the Spirit were both active in creation as well, although the creation is considered the work of the Father. Take Psalm 33, verse 6, for example. It points out to the activity of the Spirit when God created all things. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The breath of his mouth is the Spirit of God at work. John 1, verse 3 points out that the Son of God was also active when the Father created all things. Through him, that is, the Son of God, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Likewise, we see also God in three persons, active in Christ's birth, in Christ's baptism. Christ's birth says, The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the power of the Most High, that is the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One who will be born of you will be called the Son of God. And the baptism of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, we read about the, how the Spirit of God descended like a dove, lightning on him that is on the Lord Jesus. And a voice from heaven, from the Father, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Plenty of proofs, would you not say? Clearly, God is one. As we saw, the Scriptures point out that with respect to the names as well as to the works, God is truly one. And even when there are distinct works, the one true God is involved as one God. There is unity in Trinity, Trinity in unity, to use the words of the Athanasian Creed. But brothers and sisters, this unity of God in three persons must also be appropriated in our everyday life of worship and praise. That is, it must affect our daily life. It must touch, must touch our daily lives. We need to do something with it. And indeed, as we saw, the great benefits of the three persons of the one true God in our lives, God must then also be praised by us. Praised by us as being a father who cares for us, who provides for us. We also then trust that God is doing that. When we pray to him, we believe it, trust it. Then also we need to praise God for being our savior, for washing our sins away and opening the door of heaven to us. That should also then show, we need to show our response of thankfulness and fleeing from sin. And also God being our sanctifier, we need to praise God that he works personally in us, preparing us for heaven and standing by us in our time of need, hearing our prayers. Brothers and sisters, praising God as a triune God has also practical consequences on how we relate with each other. For example, we can read in 1 John 4 verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so, brothers and sisters, we can't claim through the Son to have God as our Father without having the love of God's Spirit within us for one another. For God is one. It is precisely because God is triune that a Christian cannot say to a needy brother or sister, go and be happy without helping them. If you love God as your Heavenly Father and expect all good from Him, you will then also love Christ's body, every member thereof, helping each other, each member in their time of need. That is the practical application 
of believing the triune God. We cannot have God as Father without the love of the Holy Spirit within us. Therefore also in our baptism in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, while each promises rich promises, yet there is only one demand because God is one. There's one obligation to the one God. That is that we are to cleave to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust in Him, to love Him with our whole heart and mind and all our strength. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the revelation of God, of Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He not only gives us tremendous knowledge of Himself, of His goodness, of His greatness, of His love, but also He equally demands of us obedience and faithfulness to His holy word and will, as it is given up to us in our holy Bibles, the only true word of God. Let us always be found responding and increasing thankfulness, obedience, and faithfulness as we grow in our knowledge of who God really is, as he has revealed himself to us in rich measure, as being one God, yet three persons, and being three persons, yet one God, with every rich, glorious treasure that comes with that, for this life to our comfort and for eternity to our glory. Amen.